Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. I recorded this episode a few weeks ago, and then I kind of hesitated about whether or not I should post it because it has to do with my family. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's tricky to talk about real live <laughs> people and um, not eager to uh, offend anyone or get into arguments. So after I recorded it, I thought, you know, let's just let this one uh, sit for a few weeks so that I can think about whether or not I, I want to go there. And, you know, I decided that the beauty of the podcast as a medium is that you really have to show up and be interested in order to listen to a podcast at all. It takes some effort and it's kind of in a lot of cases on at least this podcast is like a one-way conversation where I get to sit alone in a room and tell you what I think about something and if you disagree with me, if you think I'm a jerk, you don't have to keep listening and you never have to listen again. And if you have no interest in what I think think about dog training, then you don't ever have to listen to begin with. And frankly, I think my family falls into that latter category. So I've really learned to bite my tongue when anything about dogs comes up in conversation when I am with many people in my family because it's just not worth having an argument, even if it means suppressing my thoughts and feelings. It's worth it for the sake of, of having a relationship at all and, and you know maintaining some degree of peace. But that doesn't mean I'm not gonna have my own thoughts and feelings <laughs> going on, and this isn't something that I have a few thoughts about. I have a lot of thoughts about it. I have a whole business uh, devoted to um, a science-based approach to dog training, a behavior-based approach to dog training. It's, it's pretty much my entire life. So I guess I decided I'm not going to suppress an entire part of my life all the time. And if... Uh, the the people mentioned, although unnamed in this episode, are interested in what I think, they can listen to my one-way side of a conversation whenever they please, and they're welcome to record their own podcasts on their points of view. I would, I would actually be interested in hearing that. Becoming a dog trainer really changed my worldview, and it changed 
I think how I interact with people and who I am as a person and and there's a handful of people who are, are in my life who I love and care about who I think have really struggled with maybe what they see as like a, a new iteration of myself you know people who, who I've known my, my whole life or a lot of my life and you know that's been difficult part of what's difficult about it though is I feel like some of the misunderstandings that um, that I talk about on the show about dog training uh, are at the heart of some of the misunderstandings are I see them as misunderstandings uh, that my family has uh, about about me or I shouldn't say all my family some some of my family um, you know for instance and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast but my dad the the last time I saw my dad he he died a few years ago the last time I saw him was on my wedding day and uh, the the penultimate time I saw him was um, about a month before that when we went out to dinner and he asked me if I was inviting certain family members to uh, to my wedding and I said no which you know to me felt like it's it's my my event and I'm I know how I want to feel at that event and I I I want to control my environment in order to try and feel a certain way and I can control who who is there to a great extent um, and you know there are people I do want there and people I I would rather not have there and it you know felt to me like it wasn't worth it wasn't um, a moment where I needed to placate my dad at the expense of my own feelings and my own comfort on my own on my own wedding day anyway he flipped out flipped out at me and we were at we were at a restaurant and he was just yelling at me across the table you're punishing me you're an animal trainer you're not supposed to be punishing people you shouldn't be using punishment and it was frustrating because I'm like oh my god this isn't what punishment is I mean it was frustrating because you know the last thing I wanted to do was be yelled at about this by my dad especially like in public but uh it was not the moment to try and explain to him, you know, punish, like, I, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, but, like, I'm not trying to discourage some kind of specific behavior in you. I'm not using punishment on you. I'm not trying to train you to do anything. I'm just telling you my feelings about this particular topic. Anyway, it was frustrating to me that, like, embedded in his attack on me was, like, a misunderstanding of operant conditioning and the role of an animal trainer to begin with and you know I'm, I'm always saying on this podcast you know we're all animals we have to remember that that we, we talk about humans and animals but you know guess what we have a lot more in common with all the other animals on this earth than than we don't have in common and um, you know animals need to take care of themselves often first and so I think I was doing everything I could to to protect myself, take care of myself. And, you know, and I think that's ultimately what a parent would want for their for their child. And I think, you know, my my dad's gone now, so I can't talk to him about it, but I think he got that. I think in the end he realized I was I was, you know, I was doing me 
and he needed to get behind that. Um, he did say if I didn't invite these people to the wedding, he wasn't going to come to the wedding, which is a, a good example of using negative reinforcement to try and influence someone's behavior. But of course, I was like, well, I, I don't really like how you're behaving right now. So if you don't want to come to my wedding, I'll be sad because you are my dad. But then again, like it doesn't feel good to be extending an invitation to someone who's strong arming me. So anyway, if you are a member of my family and you do happen to be listening, uh, I love you, and because I love you, I will keep keeping my mouth shut whenever the topic of dog behavior comes up and I'm there, which is surprisingly often. I wish I wish everybody would just not have a dog, <laughs> I think, in the family so that it wouldn't happen so much. Like, even at the rehearsal dinner for our wedding, I overheard one person in my family talking to another person in my family about how wonderful invisible fences are. And I just thought, like, really? Of, of all the topics in the world that, that could be discussed right here, right now, this, this is it? But it, it seems to, this stuff just comes up all the time somehow in my orbit, even when I'm not trying to be involved anyway. I've learned that I should keep my mouth shut on this topic when I'm with my family, but I'm not going to stop thinking my thoughts, and if you want to hear my thoughts, there are a lot of podcast episodes I've recorded that you could listen to. This one is maybe a good start. I wanted to talk a little bit about the word holistic as it pertains to dog training, or at least as it pertains to dog training as we try to do dog training at School for the Dogs. I think if someone had told me about holistic dog anything in the period of time before I learned anything really about dog training, I would have thought about a place that does Reiki or acupuncture, things kind of like outside of Western veterinary medicine that I am for. Not things I really honestly have a lot of knowledge or opinion about. I might have thought, I guess they talk about nutrition also, but a holistic behavioral approach to training, I think I might not understood what that meant. Now, I have a very clear idea what that means, and that means looking at the whole dog's life in terms of how it is shaping behavior or how it is causing any one behavior. That means looking at a life that is more than about one behavior that may be a problem. Dog training is not just about teaching a dog to do what you want the dog to do. It's also teaching the dog to be comfortable living in the human world where we are asking them to deal with crazy stimuli all around us all the time. 
and we're asking them often to behave in ways that aren't necessarily natural to them, in ways that might not jive with the behaviors that they've developed in order to be so valuable to humans. We ask dogs to live in apartments, to be alone much of the day, or I mean, I'm thinking about things our clients have needed, or we ask them to be okay with living with other animals or living with children. We bred this species for millennia. They evolved in order to, we think, (laughs) be good companions to us. Part of their evolutionary success had to do with probably things that humans value. They were probably less likely to survive and procreate. They engaged in behaviors that we were not into. And what behaviors were useful to us? I mean, eating our garbage, alerting us to intruders, killing things for us. There are a lot of behaviors that I don't think we can really predict how they would display themselves in a more wild situation. But I think that we can at least guess that there are a lot of behaviors that we don't like in dogs that are there because of the environments that we put them in. Again, we're usually the ones putting the dogs in the environment. I don't think that dogs really have a lot of agency about what home they wind up in. And that means that we have to do a good job at making sure we're working to help our dogs feel good about whatever the environment is. Frankly, sometimes we find that there's a dog who's in an environment where it's like the environment would have to be bent way too much in order to make the dog behave in ways that were acceptable. There are cases of dogs who are really just cannot be alone or really just can't be around small dogs or other dogs. These are all things that can be trained to a huge extent, but not every person is going to be able to do the training for whatever reason. And if you're not going to put the work into dealing with a problem behavior in what I think of that as a holistic way, looking at the dog's whole life. And you're not going to be able to manipulate the environment in such a way where the dog isn't going to be triggered to engage in these behaviors. And you are not going to address like the root cause, then you are not taking a holistic approach. So I guess that's a little bit more about how I think about holistic now. And I thought about this because of this incident with my family this weekend. So otherwise said, I guess, you know, what's tricky about the word holistic is it's, it's about the whole. So everything is in the whole, right? <laughs> but I guess I feel like my thought of holistic training is that it's like a Pac-Man size part of the whole. And then there's this like Pac-Man's mouth part of the whole that is like denying the existence of any outside factors of the environment, of associations, and focusing narrowly or perhaps not so narrowly on a problem without 
consideration of methods and without without consideration of fallout. Now, I think if you are in the Pac-Man's mouth part of how you deal with dogs, you are going to think the Pac-Man holistic part, the yellow part, is a totally separate thing. And, I mean, I think my family thinks I'm in some kind of cult about this stuff, and maybe I am. Those who are in that the black mouth part, in my experience, see themselves as like a, a separate thing. The mouth is just like, I'm just a mouth, that's all there is. And the holistic approach is like the Pac-Man who is like, no, you know, the mouth is part of the whole. This is the whole picture. Like, all of this is behavior, all of this is life, all of this is science, and you're just operating in this black area. Which might make sense, because you're still dealing with behavior and you're still dealing with science, it's just using approaches that are, like I said, more likely to, to cause unintended consequences and not address the larger issues. So what happened this weekend was I was away with my family, and I'm pretty sure they don't listen to this podcast. I'm pretty sure because I think they think that I am like Looney Tunes about things relating to dogs in a lot of ways, and that I'm judgmental of their methods which is true, I am. And it's pretty easy for me to click into getting righteous about this kind of thing. And I'm aware it can come off as sounding or seeming sanctimonious. So I just don't say anything because I've been punished enough times for speaking my mind and not doing it in a way that was respectful enough of the people I was with because it feels, you know, it's an emotionally charged thing that at this point has to do with like something that's so basic to who I am and who I want to be and who I try and be and who I want to be around, which is I want to lead a life where I am offering those I take care of the ability to offer their best behaviors or offer behaviors I want without me having to tell them what I want all the time. I want them making choices that are in line with the choices I want them to make. And this extends to myself. Like, I feel like it's a constant practice and a constant effort. How can I manipulate my environment in order to up the chances that I'm going to engage in behaviors that I like and that others are going to like, and that I'm going to feel good about being where I am and doing what I'm doing? How can I move towards a life where I'm feeling good about doing the things I'm doing and the things I'm doing are being reinforced in a way that's adequate to keep those behaviors happening and not live a life where I'm driven by coercion and by force. To me, that's like the best version of life for myself and for my dog, my daughter, the, the beings that I put in my home. It's something I'm trying to practice there always as well. And then working within the environment that I've been able to manipulate for them as best as I can in order to make them feel comfortable in that environment and then like up my criteria little by little, shape 
better and better and stronger and stronger behaviors and not allow allow a lot of room for behaviors to happen in the wrong settings or at the wrong time. Also, not allowing behaviors I don't want to be reinforced by myself or by the environment or by the very doing of it. To me, that's all just being like on the good side of science and behavior. That's like the key to the good life. That's good dog training. That's just like being a good human being. So part of what makes it emotional and difficult to handle with my family is that I can't not, in my mind, constantly be drawing parallels between how we treat our dogs and how we treat each other. But I am very aware that the human world is way more complicated and nuanced than the dog world, at least the dog world as we humans can understand it. This stuff is so ridiculously complicated. We engage in so many different behaviors and there's so many inputs and we have language, which is like, I think it can result in subtleties of behavior and interaction that are beyond anything in the dog world. Although, of course, they have other ways of communicating that we will never be able to totally understand. Like, I wish I knew what it was like just for like one minute to have a dog's nose. Just be so curious what smell would communicate. Anyway, I digress. The issue this weekend is that we went camping with my family and they have a dog who spends a lot of time outside, loves being outside. They have a nice big property. They do use a shock collar, uh, like an electric fence shock collar, which I have issues with for a lot of reasons. But what I tend to think is misunderstood is my issues are not just about we should respect animals and not cause them pain. Because quite frankly, I believe that, but I also know I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I eat meat and I'm sure that I consume meat that comes from animals who probably lived pretty terrible lives because of the way they were cared for and the way that they were brought to this world and all of it, all of it for our consumption, which that hypocrisy bothers me. I feel like the fact that I eat meat and dairy, etc., that I'm not a vegan or like a super conscientious eater of where my food even comes from is like a problem of mine that I need to deal with. But anyway, my point is it's not about like the pain the animal is getting. I mean, I'm not pro-pain. <laughs> in, in my personal life, it's not what I want for the animals I'm taking care of. That's not, like I said, it's not what I think of as good dog training or good parenting, or it's not like the good life for myself. But it's not the pain when I see it happening in other situations as much as it's the unintended possible consequences, the fallout. So with an electric fence, there are multiple problems. I don't want to talk about all the problems of electric fences. I'm just going to talk about one of the problems, which is you don't know what association your dog is necessarily making with the shock. It might be the boundary but it might be the dog got shocked just as he was looking at a squirrel in the tree, or the dog got shocked just as he was looking at the UPS man who was coming in, 
or that these things happen over and over. Sometimes it's a squirrel and sometimes it's a UPS man. And maybe also it has to do with this white flag or this area. But behavior, it's not like there's only one behavior being reinforced or punished by one thing each time, especially in like the life of a dog. I think there can be a lot of confusion because we don't know the connection that's happening each and every time it happens. And this can lead not only to just a general state of like stress. I don't know what thing is going to cause this shock, but it could also lead to behaviors being suppressed that have um, problematic consequences later. Often a dog is barking because he wants to put distance between himself and whatever is approaching. Like, hey, I'm loud and scary, get away from me, right? Probably part of the reason why little dogs, why they say, you know, his bark is bigger than his bite. Little dogs have evolved to be quite noisy, some of the time at least, because like, hey, get away from me. I might be little, but if you can't see me, especially, you might think I'm a much bigger dog. That might be some of the reason why dogs lift their legs really high when they pee, too. It's like so that they're, the dog who comes behind them is going to think they're a really, really big dog. They might never see the other dog, but might just make that impression from the dog's pee. Anyway, barking is a way of stopping or discouraging interaction that could be dangerous or that that dog perceives as possibly dangerous. Well, actually, let me come back to the barking thing in a second. When we're talking about like an electric fence, which is what I was saying my my family uses, the dog can, I mean, the barking might have something to do with it too, but I think often dogs then get aggressive about people or dogs or anything like entering into this space where they have been shocked. And even if the collar is off and the dog is not actually getting shocked. Wearing the collar can sometimes still work for a dog because I think they've made the association that the collar could possibly create this feeling that just wearing the collar, even when it isn't being triggered by anything, can be enough of a deterrent. Like the collar is not giving them a shock anymore, but the collar is still working because it's a deterrent because of uh, the pretty bad associations with it. Anyway, I guess the bigger point is you can get rid of a behavior in this way, but what are the other associations that are happening? And those associations could lead to a dog biting someone coming into their home, which happened with my family's old dog who was a great dog. He wasn't a, a bad animal in the least. He was, and he was beloved, but he lived outside a lot of the time. I mean, during the day at least. And uh, my family felt that it was more humane to let him have free roam with an electric fence than it would be to force him to live behind a fence. At least that's how I understood the argument. And so I learned to not argue about it. And when the dog did eventually bite someone coming to the house, which was a relatively rare thing, and I suggested my reason as to why this ended up happening, I was told I was wrong, that I couldn't prove it, which I guess is 
true. Like, I can't, like, I'm not going to, like, get all Perry Mason about this, but, like, I can't see it in any other way. And the dog was a big dog. And also, you know, barking became an issue because he would bark at anything approaching, probably, because, like I was saying, he was like, hey, stay away from me. I'm big and scary. Anyway, they now have a different dog, and we all went camping this weekend, and they brought the dog and tied the dog up, and the dog was barking at anyone that passed by, I guess really mostly at dogs that passed by. Honestly, I wasn't like paying too much attention to what the specific trigger was. There was just a lot of barking, and I suspected it probably was just all the activity. It wasn't like just seeing a man in a hat or something like that. Like some dogs have very specific triggers. This dog lives outside most of the time and is mostly off leash outside. And the house is pretty set back. So there's not a lot of cars coming and going. There's certainly not a lot of people coming and going. Not a lot of other dogs. I mean, I think they occasionally bring her to like the dog park or maybe occasionally take her for a walk. But I would say like, Probably 99% of the time, she is in her own private yard, off-leash. But on this campsite, she was tied up, and there was just constant activity all around us the whole time. Other dogs, kids on bikes, kids on scooters, cars, people, etc., etc. So she would bark, and then my family would yell no at her. And then she'd bark some more, and then they'd yell no again. And then eventually she would stop barking, and sometimes they would say, good girl. So, I mean, if I had to go all Columbo here on guessing why this behavior was happening, again, I can't prove it, but I would say probably because she isn't around all these stimuli all the time, and they were possibly scary to her because they were unfamiliar. And barking was her best way to work at putting distance between herself and these things, especially because she was on leash. So she couldn't go approach, say, the other dog to do what perhaps would be some kind of normal greeting. And she couldn't run away from the other dog because she was tied up. So her go-to behavior was to bark just to let the other dogs know, I'm big, you better stay away. And then this was met from vocalizations from the human, which I don't think were very meaningful one way or the other because they didn't really seem to me like they resulted in her not barking anymore. I mean, eventually she would stop barking, but maybe she would have just stopped barking anyway. And I also just guessed that, like, the difference between, like, no and, like, good girl. Like, dogs definitely do respond to tone, But I think we probably give them too much credit for understanding, like, specific words and cadences in most situations, but maybe I'm wrong. And then eventually someone put some kind of sonic collar on her that made, I guess, a very high-pitched noise when she barked. And that seemed like a much more effective punishment. So then she would just kind of growl and then stop. But there were a couple of problems here. One, at some point, the battery of the thing wore out, and so then it had to be taken off so it could be recharged. And then another problem, again, I'm guessing 
that the other dogs who are all around, including there was another one on our campsite, could all hear this sound too when she barked. So, and who knows what associations they were making with that sound, whether it had anything to do with her barking or not, just doesn't seem like it could lead to good things if it's really that bothersome to dogs to be exposing them all to this loud, annoying sound periodically when one of them barks. Likewise, it's possible that another dog barking could have caused her collar to go off, unless I'm really not understanding the technology. But anyway, several issues. However, for me, the biggest issue was, again, I don't know the association that she was making with the sound, and it was suppressing a behavior, this barking behavior, which was actually, in my opinion, preferable to other things she could be doing if she felt fearful, like trying to bite or attack. Fortunately, she was on like a a rather short leash, so there wasn't too much like biting or attacking she was going to do like to any other dogs. But I felt like it's possible that she could skip the barking get away from me part of her stress sequence and also maybe not even growl and just go towards like snapping, trying to bite anything that she was feeling anxious about because that behavior had been not only punished, the barking behavior punished, but also the shock could have now been associated with any of the unusual things in her environment that she might have been perceiving as a threat. And there were kids running around near her, and that stressed me out. That possibility of her skipping the barking because that behavior had been punished and going straight towards any kind of attack due to a misguided association or redirecting onto something nearby, which is something dogs can do. Like a dog sees a skateboard across the street, is stressed out about it, and then goes and bites his owner's leg. So anyway, that was my worry. And that was my read on the situation, which I kept to myself because, and I just know it's an argument that's not going to lead anywhere. And that at the end of the day, what they were doing did work. It did get rid of most of her barking behavior in a relatively short period of time. And it worked because of behavioral science. It just didn't really take into account the whole Pac-Man and the possible downsides, rather instead focusing on the tip of the behavior rather than the root cause of the behavior. And that's why that's not a holistic approach. It's, it's part of the whole, but it's like if you have serious acne and you are treating the pimple and not the cause of the acne, right? Like I'm guessing that's what a holistic dermatologist would be, right? Looking at all the other things in your life that are causing this and not just focusing on one specific pimple. I totally did not mean to bust out with a acne <laughs> analogy here. So nothing happened. The dog didn't attack anybody. So their methods did the job. And as far as fallout, the dog is not in this situation that much. So the behaviors that she was engaging in, I think, in her normal environment are, are not an issue. 
And, you know, I was talking to my husband about it and he said, well, what would you suggest? And I thought, well, part of the reason I kept my mouth shut is because what I would suggest would be starting to work now on bringing the dog to a campsite next year. For this year, my suggestion probably would have been either don't bring the dog at all or configure some kind of setup within the campsite where she is going to be visually blocked from seeing all these things that seem to be triggering her to bark and generally be stressed out. And yes, ideally try and have her make good associations about all these different things coming at her. But frankly, I don't think the campsite was the moment to be doing that kind of work, partially because she's not a very food-motivated dog. So like throwing hot dogs at her (laughs) every time a skateboard goes by, I don't think it would have mattered much. And, you know, for that reason... Dogs who are motivated are often easier to train than dogs who aren't food motivated. It's one reason that usually dogs are easier to train than cats, is dogs are less picky than cats. You can absolutely use reward-based training to train dogs who are not super food motivated, but it can be harder. And dealing with a dog who is getting exposed to a whole bunch of things all at once during one period of time, I think is like trial by fire. And my preference would be to acclimate the dog to some of the things little by little at a distance that she could handle. Maybe starting out working somewhere where she's familiar and comfortable and with people she's comfortable with and relaxed and happy and introducing another dog walking by at 80 feet away and then seeing how she does with that. And then you could either reward that by giving her food or play or touch or by giving her the opportunity to run away from that dog. I'm like giving a very, very simple version of the kind of work that's done in something like our sidewalk psychos class. There are these methods of training that are bat and cat and different ways that you can get dogs behaving well or at least not badly in the presence of other dogs, let's say, by introducing the other dog at a distance repeatedly. And that is really hard. And I totally get that many people don't want to put their time and energy and money and effort into doing this kind of training. Like, I feel like part of my mission is to try and show people that this kind of training can be fun and make sense and isn't necessarily hard and can be very quick, but it's still work and you still have to want to show up to even start doing that job. And some people just aren't going to do that. The clients that we have that do this kind of work are really freaking special people. This is why we have such an amazing business. It's because we have clients who are doing this kind of thing. And we also have some clients who say, you know what, I can't do this and therefore I shouldn't have this dog or therefore I need to somehow manipulate the environment in order to make sure that my dog doesn't have this problem because I can't put in the, the what might be 
months and months of training and time and effort and maybe money to get there. And to me, those are the people who are taking a holistic approach and deciding to use the least invasive, least coercive methods possible in order to give their dogs a good life. But the truth is often it's not easy. I I mean, training can be fun and it can be easy, but it can also, it can take a long time. Ideally, that long time is filled with moments that are good and are filled with rewards that make it all worthwhile, whether that's seeing the improvement in your dog or just the joy of working with your dog, even if you're working with your dog to address a problem. I like to think our human students have good moments in classes that are addressing problems, not just classes that are meant to be fun and silly like tricks or whatever. And I think that's why clients come back over and over. Something like our sidewalk psychos class, we have clients who've taken that multiple times. And I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong again, but I don't think it's because it's not working. I think it's because it is working and it's something constructive that the owner can do with the dog that is part of like conditioning exercise to help continually condition the dog to feel good and to know what to do and how to behave in this world that we have plopped him into, which is largely a human world that wasn't constructed necessarily in a way that is meant to encourage the behaviors that we want. And another thing about barking is barking is not necessarily a bad behavior. Another approach I might have had to the situation was let the dog bark. Again, not a popular thing to suggest, so I didn't, but it's possible the people around us wouldn't have cared. I wouldn't have cared if the dog was barking. Maybe it wouldn't have bothered others. I don't know. Maybe if she was just able to bark, she would have eventually lost interest. I'm not saying that that is my preferred approach to deal with all barking cases. I'm not saying that at all, but I do think there are situations where Barking might be the absolute normal and natural thing for the dog to do in that moment. And there are times where a preference that a human has for quiet might be at odds with that. Or it might be a really good thing for us. My dog barks when the doorbell rings, and that's something I've never really treated as a huge problem because his bark is pretty big for a little guy. And especially when I was living alone in the middle of New York City, I didn't think it was the worst thing for people to think I had a guard dog. You know, what's funny is my neighbor's dog barks, and my neighbor's always saying to the dog, no barking, no barking. But especially, like, when she's, like, by my door, I think. And I think it's, I mean, if she really didn't want the dog to be barking. I think she would have found a more effective way of dealing with the barking by now because this has been going on for many, many years. I think it's more like she's worried about other people thinking she's not dealing with the barking. So she says to not bark to the dog so that other people don't think she's being disrespectful or being permissive or 
being a bad dog or I don't know. Anyway, this is why I love dog training. It's not just a chance to think about the way dogs behave. It's also interesting to me to see other people thinking about how dogs behave. And, you know, I'm just really grateful to know so many dog owners who are living in that yellow part of the Pac-Man. Special thanks to my Tasmania-based friends Bill and Lizzie for their recording of Love is Strange. You can find them at youtube.com slash toastgarden. by me with help from the wonderful Alex Chris. I'll be back next Friday with another episode. If you like this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping in our online store, storeforthedogs.com. And you can book classes and lessons and find a ton of really great free training resources if you visit us at schoolforthedogs.com. Silvia!